Praise be unto God. Let us now turn to the book of Timothy. We're going to be, uh, I'll be teaching out of 1 Timothy in chapter 1. From Shaul, that's his Hebrew name, Paul, an emissary of Messiah Yeshua, by the command of God our, our deliverer, and Messiah Yeshua our hope. To Timothy, a true son because of trust, grace and mercy and shalom from God the Father and the Messiah Yeshua our Lord. As I counseled you when I was leaving for Macedonia, stay on in Ephesus so that you may order certain people who are teaching different doctrine to stop. Have them stop devoting their attention to myths and never-ending genealogies. These divert people to speculating instead of doing God's work, which requires trust. The purpose of this order is to promote love from a clean heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere trust. Some, by aiming amiss, have wandered off into fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of Torah, but they understand neither their own words nor matters about which they make emphatic pronouncements. We know that the Torah is good, provided one uses it in a way that Torah itself intends. We are aware that Torah is not for a person who is righteous, but for those who are heedless of Torah and rebellious, ungodly, sinful, wicked, and worldly. For people kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual, immoral, both heterosexual and homosexual, slave dealers, liars, prejurers, and anyone who acts contrary to the sound teaching that accords with the good news of the glorious and blessed God. This good news was entrusted to me, and I thank the one who has given me strength, the Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, that he considered me trustworthy and even put me in his service, even though I used to be a man who blasphemed and persecuted and was arrogant. But I received mercy because I acted in unbelief, not understanding what I was doing. Our Lord's grace overflowed to me with trust and love that came through the Messiah Yeshua. So here is a statement you can trust one that fully deserves to be accepted. The Messiah came into the world to save sinners, and I, the number one sinner. But this is precisely why I receive mercy, so that in me, as the number one sinner, Yeshua the Messiah might demonstrate how very patient he is, as an example to those who would later come to trust in him and thereby have eternal life. So to the king, eternal, imperishable, and invisible, the only God there is, let there be honor and glory forever 
and ever. Amen. This charge, son Timothy, I put to you. In keeping with the prophecies already made about you, so that by these prophecies you might fight the good fight, armed with trust and good conscience. By rejecting conscience, some have made shipwreck of their trust. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander. I have turned them over to the adversary. In some translations it says, Satan. In the Hebrew, it would be Hasatan. So that they will learn not to insult God. That's a powerful letter, is it not? Now I will share the introduction. And there are sometimes I borrow from other individuals' introduction. Because when they were anointed by God to write an introduction, there's benefits that we receive. This is the introduction. If you have the complete Jewish Bible, you'll be able to see that this is Dr. David Stern's introduction. So I'm giving him credit where credit is due. And this is how he begins. Historically speaking, 1 and 2 Timothy show a typical first century relationship between a rabbi and his chief student. Who's the rabbi here? But Rav Shaul, the apostle Paul. And who's the student here? But Timothy. His Talmud Hakam, his most learned student. Literally speaking, these letters are examples of rabbinic rapanza. Written decisions and rulings given by legal scholars in response to questions. Just like you have questions of spiritual leaders that the Lord has put you temporarily underneath their wing for instruction. They're not to lord it over you. Their goal is to build you up in your faith and trust in the Messiah. They're to point you to God's word and give you instruction to recognize the gifts and the abilities that you have received from the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit. They're to equip you. Many pastors and spiritual leaders, both in America and around the world, they have everything backwards. They think that, that you are there for their benefit of equipping them. They have it reversed. A pastor, a rabbi, is to be a servant. They're underneath the eternal shepherd. A rabbi or pastor serves as an under-shepherd for the congregation. He will have to give an account for every word that he shares from God's word and how he gives commentary and how he applies it and how he lives it out and demonstrates that. And this is part of the charge that Rav Shaul is now given Timothy. He was Rav Shaul's protege. And there is division that are going on in this congregation, this Messianic congregation in Ephesus. And this is the reason for the writing of the letter. Let's continue here. Praise be unto God. 
So the closeness of relationship between rabbi and student is supported by history. Timothy accompanied Shaul, Paul, on some of his latter journeys. And Shaul wrote about Timothy in a number of his letters. And we won't go into detail, but I'll share the verses so you can look them up later. Remember, anything I share, you are to test it to see if it lines up with the word of God. Anything that doesn't line up, you're to set aside. Because you have to give an account. You're to be out proclaiming the good news to every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth. And you're to share the good news with them. And you are to be instructed and equipped to make disciples. It's not the rabbi or the pastor's due or the, the, the evangelist's duty. Every believer. Praise be to God. Let's continue. So where in the letters does it mention Timothy by Rav Shaul? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 10. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. And verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. By the time 1 Timothy was written around 62 or 63, the common era, the, the responsa questions had already been asked. The situations involving Timothy and his leadership had already been made known to Shaul. Thus, the letters to Timothy are the rabbi's responses to Timothy's situation. These two letters and their advice and instructions arise from an established relationship between them as rabbi and student. This is the typical method between Shaul and his students. In fact, Shaul's letters to the Corinthians also fit neatly into this category of rabbinic literature. In 1 Timothy, the student is now become a rabbi teacher himself. See, there's a passing of the baton. Rav Shaul knew that he was becoming older, and where is he? He's now under house arrest, and he knows that one day he will no longer be here. So he has to raise up others, as many as possible, and he pours his life. I mean, this gentleman, he's working a, a secular job so he can go forth and proclaim the good news and establish Messianic congregations of both Jews and Gentiles throughout the whole known world at that time. That is his passion, to equip and build up others and raise up other leaders, to pass the baton, for he does not know the day or the hour the Lord is going to call him home. And it's with that urgency, Rav Shaul shares this. Praise be unto God. Let's continue here. So the relationship between the rabbi and the student. So this was typical, be, uh, typical method between Shaul and his students. In fact, Shaul's letters to the Corinthians also fit neatly into the category of rabbinic literature. I know I repeated myself, but sometimes it's best when you're, when you're encouraging people to get a point to repeat yourself on occasion. So let's go forward. So the situations involving Timothy and his leadership had already been made known to Shaul. Thus, the letters to Timothy are the rabbi's responses of Timothy's situation. These two letters and their advice and instruction arise from established relationship between them as rabbi and student. This was typical between, method between Shaul and his students. In fact, Shaul's letter to the Corinthians also fit into this category of rabbinic literature. 
In 1 Timothy, the student now has become the rabbi teacher himself. Timothy was Jewish. Shaul expresses a relationship in a father-son terms and continues to use this language in 2 Timothy. The familial relationship between teacher and student was well established in the biblical language of Jewish imagery. Turn with me now quickly to 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12. Second Kings chapter 2 and verse number 11. And here we are. In the Hebrew, Second Kings is pronounced Malachim Bet. And here we are in verse 11. Suddenly they were walking and talking, and there appeared a fiery chariot with horses of fire. And it separated two of them from each other. Eliyahu, who is Elijah, went up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then he lost sight of him. Seizing his clothes, he tore them in half. Then he picked up Eliyahu, Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off him, standing on the bank of the Yarden, the Jordan River. He took the cloak that had fallen off Eliyahu, Elijah, and struck the water and said, Where is Adonai, the God of Eliyahu, Elijah? But when he actually did strike the water, it divided itself left and right. Then Elisha crossed over. So here's an example of two men, two prophets of God, one older and one younger. And Elijah tested Elisha from time to time to see where his heart was. Was he totally sold out for God? So that's just one example, but we must move forward. So Shaul's use of these terms echoes that history. In this letter, Shaul consults Timothy about challenges Timothy has encountered. All of Shaul's advice is presented with the goal of helping Tim Timothy to lead the community of mostly Gentiles, but also Jewish Messianic believers to which he had been appointed, as well as to walk in his own personal destiny and fulfill his calling. So Dr. David Stern gives us a quick outline here. Instructions for leadership. Greetings, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Warnings about false teachers, chapters 1, 3 through 20. Worship instructions, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Standards for leaders, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Advice about ministry. More warnings about false teachers, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Helping various groups in the congregation, chapters 5, 1 through chapter 6, 5. Living a Godly Life, chapters 6, verse 6 through 10. And finally, the final instructions, chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. Now I'll share my introduction on this. So after being freed from house arrest in Rome, Shaul wrote his final three letters 
in a period approximately between 62 and 63 common era. Shaul likely wrote 1 Timothy and Titus in Macedonia and possibly Philippi. And he wrote 2 Timothy on his last letter from prison in Rome. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8 gives us that confirmation. It is fitting that Shaul's final letter would be written to young rabbis who would lead and tend the flame of faith long after Shaul's death. One of Shaul's final instructions to Timothy was to find faithful people and entrust them what had been entrusted to Timothy. How do we know this? 2 Timothy 2.2 declares. Shaul spent years doing exactly that with Timothy and others, but especially with Timothy. Shaul calls Timothy his true son of faith. 1 Timothy 1 and 2. No doubt because Shaul had led Timothy to Yeshua. This opportunity to be, become born again certainly happened on Shaul's first missionary journey into Asia Minor. Where's Asia Minor today? But modern Turkey. What's happening in Turkey now? Is there a lot of Messianic believers in Turkey? No, things have changed. Where was the congregation of Ephesus established? In Turkey. This is amazing. We have a, a, a letter from Yeshua through Yohanan, the apostle, speaking directly to which congregation? One of the seven, the congregation of Ephesus. That's your homework assignment as, you, as we go through the first and second Timothy that deals with the congregation of Ephesus. You'll see what was happening in between the years 62 and 63. And then in, in the book of Revelation, from the time period of the year, common era of 90 through 95, had things changed. Yeshua is walking right now in our midst. You and I do not see him. There is a menorah which represents the spirit of the living God that is here. Yeshua warned those seven congregations in the book of Revelation, if you do not repent then I will come and I will remove the presence of that menorah, which is a symbol of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, from you. And then Ichabod, the glory and the presence of the Lord, has departed, will be over the congregation. And they can go on, do their programs, go through all the signs and motions like Alan shared in the excellent Torah reading today. But if they're not honoring God, with their heart, mind, and soul, then he cannot accept their worship. Are these serious matters? Absolutely. And so now as we're going through this transition as a congregation, the Lord is examining the under-shepherd's thoughts and motivations and is holding him accountable just as he's holding everyone accountable. We are Yeshua's bride, both Jews and Gentiles, one Messiah. He desires a holy and pure representation of himself and the Father. And if that is not being accomplished in our midst, then the Lord comes with grace and mercy and says, you need to repent of this. You need to repent of that. Come back to your first love. Praise be to God. Let's continue here.
Praise be unto God. Modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. One of the cities, Shaul and Barnaba, Barnabas, visited what was Lystra, where there was a great number of Jews and Greeks that believed. Believed in what? That Yeshua was the promised Messiah. Continuing. Praise be unto God. So one of whom must have been Timothy. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. On the second missionary journey, Shaul and Silas, Silas returned to Lystra, where a Talmud, which is a disciple, named Timothy lived. How do we know this? Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And let's turn there very, very quickly. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's beautiful to see that you're coming to the saving knowledge of Messiah has been orchestrated by God. The timing and everything that proceeded through that up to this moment has been ordained by God. And so here we are in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Shaul came down to Derby and then went on to Lystra, where, he, where there lived a Talmud named Timothy. He was a son of a Jewish woman who had come to trust and a Greek father. All the brothers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Shaul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and did a Brit Milah. What's a Brit Milah? He circumcised him. Most likely, since Timothy had a Greek father, he was against his son being circumcised. Talk about intimacy. I'm not trying to get vulgar here. But this is what the Lord instructed Rav Shaul to do. Continuing here. Why was the reason of the Brit Milah? What does the scripture say? Let's don't speculate. Because of the Jews living in those areas. For they all knew that his father had been a Greek. As they went through those towns, they delivered to the people the decisions reached by the emissaries, the apostles, the elders in Jerusalem, for them to observe. According to the congregations were strengthened in the faith and increased in number day by day. So there's our clarification, okay? So because... Timothy was already a Messianic Jewish believer. We can deduce that he had become a Messianic Jewish believer in Yeshua during Shaul's previous preaching visit. In a short time since Shaul's first visit to Lystra, Timothy had earned the respect and the confidence of other Messianic Jewish believers in the area. Acts 16.2, as we just read. And would immediately become Shaul's constant companion traveling with him throughout Asia Minor, Macedonia, and Greece. Timothy was also in Rome for part or all of Shaul's two-year house arrest and is named as one of the senders in the letters. Shaul wrote from Rome to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, as well as 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. In a ceremony now that serves as a basis for modern-day ordination of both Messianic rabbis and ministers of the good news. And in Hebrew, it's called 
Shmichah. And what does that word mean? The laying on of hands. Hence the ordination and grant of authority. For your pleasure to understand this in a greater depth, you read Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 27. And the setting is this, Yeshua, who does not have letters from the head high priest, the Kohen Haggadah, to do what he's doing. And so they're coming, they're questioning him. They're saying, by what shmicha, by what authority are you doing these things, these miracles, and preaching and teaching? And Yeshua says, fine, you posted me a question, I give you a question back. What shmicha, Yohanan, the immerser, John the Baptist, where did he receive his shmicha, his authority? Is it from God or is it from man? And they questioned among themselves. They said, well, we'll have a riot on our hands here if we say that, 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 that this John, this Baptist, this John the Immerser, he, was, he, uh, he, he wasn't of God. We'll have a riot on our hands. So let's don't tell me anything. Their answer back, we don't know. Neither do I tell you. It was evident before them. The things that Yeshua was doing, no prophet had done before. Were there examples of raising the dead? Yes. Healing the sick? Yes. But not to the, both the quantity and the quality that Yeshua did. You know, the book of Yohanan John ends on this. If all the things said and done by Yeshua were written down in a book, there would be not enough books in the world to fulfill that record. So let's get back to the scripture here. Praise be unto God. So, Shaul and a body of messing believers had laid hands on Timothy to set him apart for God's service. It must have been a, to a position of leadership because Shaul uses that ordination as a basis for writing his letter to Timothy. Leader to leader. Now they're looking at each other straight in the eye. Because Rav Shaul's ready to pass that baton because he doesn't know the day of the hour the Lord's going to ask him to go up to his presence when he's going to die or that the Lord will come and he'll be caught up. Continuing here. Praise be unto God. Leader to leader. About the Messianic congregation of Ephesus. And in his second letter to the young rabbi, Shaul exhorts Timothy to fan the flame, the spiritual gift of God that he received at when? At his ordination. How do we know this? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Though not an apostle, a shalakim, called by Yeshua, Timothy, he was not. Okay, that follows scripture. Because the only true apostles were to be there at the beginning of Yeshua's ministry and at his death and a witness to his resurrection. Yet Rav Shaul, he says, I was born out of time and season. And by the Spirit, when uh, Yeshua appeared to Rav Shaul on the way to Damascus, what was he doing? He had letters from, he had the Shemekah, the authority, to go to Damascus and arrest anyone who was following after the way. But the Lord met him on the way. 
and he revealed himself. If you study scripture, you'll notice that there was a period of time. Some Bible scholars say between 10 to 20 years that Rav Shaul was tutored by Yeshua in Arabia, which is Saudi Arabia today. That process. So going forward here, praise be unto God. And so in his second letter to the young rabbi, Shaul exhorts Timothy to fan the flame of the spiritual gift of God that he received at his ordination. Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Though not an apostle, a shelachim, called by Yeshua, Timothy was the next best thing. Devoted, gifted, Ruach HaKodesh, spirit, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled. So the Shelachim, apostolically trained young rabbi by the Apostle Paul, a leader who was prepared to devote his life to the cause of Yeshua. And now Timothy was Shaul's choice to oversee a troubled Messianic congregation. What it says now to guard your faith and trust, to guard your heart. When Shaul wrote his first letter to Timothy, it had been as many as eight years since Shaul, Paul, had ministered for any length of time in Ephesus. The base of his outreach towards Asia Minor in Acts chapter 19 verses 1 through chapter 21, and we won't read that because we don't have time, that's another homework assignment, even though the Messianic congregation had been taught and established well, problems had arisen, mostly because of certain false teachers had infiltrated the fellowship of the Messianic believers. Shaul had undoubtedly done what he could to set things right in his last visit there before moving on to Macedonia, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Shaul also tried to help the situation in two additional ways. First, Shaul left his trusted protege, Timothy, in Ephesus to oversee the necessary corrections in the Messianic congregation of both Jews and Gentiles, one in Messiah Yeshua. And second, once Shaul arrived in Macedonia, Shaul wrote Timothy a detailed letter of encouragement, instruction, so that Timothy would have the wisdom of an experienced leader. When Timothy addressed the various problems that the Messianic congregation was now facing. And so now, in this letter, Shaul tells Timothy how to confront false teachers. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. How to order the Messianic congregation's worship. 1 Timothy chapter 2. How to select Messianic congregational leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. How to conduct himself as a young Messianic rabbi, a leader, in a very difficult situation, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Speaking now as father to son, Shelachim Apostle Paul urges Timothy not only to stand up for the truth in public, but also guard his own soul from the errors all around him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. Next, what it means bringing back truth and order, shalom and peace. 
Though Shaul never calls Timothy a rabbi or a pastor, a shepherd in this letter, the Shelachim, the apostle, Shaul did appoint Timothy to a rabbi pastoral role, overseeing the Messian congregation in Ephesus with a focus on what its needs. Next, doctrinal purity. What does that mean? It means biblical and pure teaching or preaching. The first issue Shaul raises in the letter to Timothy is the problem of false teachers and their heretical teaching. Timothy is to command them to do what? To stop. Instead of edifying the Messianic congregation, false teachers create what? Disputes within. Instead of unity, they produce division. How do we know this? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Next, worship. There was discord and disorder in the worship service in the Ephesus Messianic congregation, probably caused by false teachers. Shaul reminds Timothy of the necessity of prayer and the roles of men and women in the meetings of the Messianic congregation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Next, godliness. Shaul often uses terms godly and godliness in his three rabbinic pastoral shepherd letters. Eight times in 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 4, verse 7, and verse 8, chapter 6, verses 3, 5, 6, and 11, and twice in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 5 and 12, and Titus 1, 1, and chapter 2, verse 12. With these words, Shaul implies that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, lead and order the Messianic congregation, will reflect the God that it professes now to worship. Something apparently not true of the Messianic congregation church in Ephesus. And so as I said earlier, I encourage everyone to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This will give you an updated insight how Yeshua saw the Messianic community, the congregation of Ephesus, of both Jews and Gentiles in the years 90 through 95 Common Era. Remember, Timothy was written in 62 through 63 Common Era. And a lot of things can transpire because the Lord promised through his apostles that in the last days, and they spoke of their days as the last days, there will come false teachers, false apostles, and false prophets. They will come from among you. There will be wolves in sheep's clothing. They will be there. It was present then, and it is today. Let's continue. Messianic congregational leaders. At the end of Shaul, the Shelachim, apostolic ministry, Shaul can provide Timothy and also Titus with standards that should apply to Messianic congregational leaders, rabbis, overseers, elders, Shamishim, that's plural, for Shamesh, which is singular. In the English, it's translated, translated as deacons or deaconesses. What is a deaconess, a Shamesh? They are an attendant, a servant, a caretaker. Luke chapter 4, verse 20 gives us evidence. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 are based on the health of the Messianic congregation and is measured by what? The quality of its leadership. It starts with those who, who are the under-shepherd, 
the elders, the deacons, those who lead worship, or any other aspects of ministry. Next, rabbi, shepherd, pastoral care. Shaul gives lengthy instructions to Timothy on the care of both widows and orphans in the Messianic congregation and how rabbis and shepherds, pastors, should be supported in their ministry and how Messianic believers who are slaves and Messianic believers who are slave owners. And for some of you, you think, oh my goodness, what did Rabbi just say? There were people who are slaves who came to know Yeshua. Rav Shaul was inspired by the Ruach HaKodesh. Now that they're born again, they're free from sin, but the Lord has not set them free as being slaves. I'm not going to argue with the Lord. You argue with him, okay? So he's saying, now this is how you conduct yourself. That slave was in to be a witness and a testimony about the change of character in his heart and mind that would then be reflected in his relationship with his slave owner, which in most cases was a non-believer. And then what happens after that, after that slave owner uh, comes to know Messiah? Okay? Now that's something we don't talk about these days, is it not? That's a very, very controversial subject. But understand this, that if you want further insight on the issue of slavery, the book of Philemon will answer your questions. Paul addresses that to Onesimus, who was a slave owner, who was a believer, and one of his slaves, Philemon, ran away. He ran away, and then he came to Rav Shaul. And Rav Shaul is now pleading on Philemon's uh, part and saying, he has been a blessing to me. He's been meeting my needs. Would you consider Onesimus? Bring him so that he can assist me in proclaiming the good news and doing ministry? See, the scripture has so many answers to things that you and I don't even contemplate from time to time. That's why in scripture it says this. There's no distinguishing between what? Jew or Greek nations, male or female, Slave or free? Have you simply just read over that and really didn't focus on what that meant? Read the book, the book of Philemon, and you'll bring greater insight. Next, contentment. Shaul's instruction about contentment and concludes with the principles that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. First Timothy six six through ten. Material possessions are temporary and will not survive beyond this life. But contentment is a mark of true godliness, which lasts throughout all eternity. And so finally, what it means for us to fight the good fight. There are times when it is right to make a strategic retreat and then to blend it to the background. But there are times when Yeshua calls us to step forward and fight the battle well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. So in conclusion... Shaul knew that Timothy must not dodge this battle against false teachers in the Ephesian Messianic congregation using strong, bold language, including plenty of terminology from battle and physical fitness. Shaul calls upon his protege to stand up 
for the truth. To oppose error. To set up a visible example. And to use his gifts in a positive way for Yeshua. And to set the Messianic congregation on the right course. And to defend the good news. The hope that is in him who is what? But Yeshua. We cannot be sure whether Timothy was a reluctant warrior or not. Remember Gideon? Here he's in the cave. And he's sifting wheat. Wheat. Because if he does it outdoors, the Palestinians will come and take his life. So what appears in the cave beside him? But an angel, what's his address? Almighty man of valor. God had a plan and purpose for this individual. God saw gifts. And God saw gifts that if, if Gideon would simply put his trust that God would bring deliverance not only for Gideon, but also for the people of Israel. <clears throat> so continuing here. But Yeshua sometimes appoints normally quiet and peace-loving individuals to speak wisdom into a confusing situation. No matter what personality a person has, being a rabbi, shepherd, pastoral ministry is not for the faint of heart. It is filled with both perils and problems. Since Messianic congregations are made up of people, Ministry can be very wearing and discouraging and even require very painful decisions. But of this, we can be sure. When Yeshua prompts us to speak and then take action, Yeshua mightily uses those who step forward in trust and faith. Praise be unto God. Shabbat Shalom.